It's the unvaccinated who are really causing so much difficulty. Why not just go get the vaccine on the other line there? I don't know. I'm scared to get it. I want to wait a little bit longer. No restrictions, no mandates. Or are there? I'm not going to wear it unless they tell me I have to. We have the right to protect our staff. We will do everything we can to make sure that it is adhered to. To mask or not to mask in the face of a resurgent virus. We're discovering variants of many different varieties from many different locations. We are tired. We are exhausted. Not only physically, but mentally. It's our choice. Showdown at the school board. We really do need to make sure that the parents' rights are protected. Weeks before classes resume. It's impacting a child's development and the ability to be normal children. It is irresponsible to think that it's okay to bring people together and not care about people dying. 35% of adolescents between 12 and 19 years old are vaccinated, so we have a long way to go. The Cuban Americans are hurting. New sanctions on Cuba and new support from the White House. Today we are adding sanctions. South Florida takes a message to the president. What we all want is a free Cuba. That was a conversation with a human being who really cares. It's all live this week in South Florida. Good morning, glad you could join us. I'm Michael Putnam. I'm Glenna Milburn. This week in South Florida continues in just a moment. week, Miami-Dade and Broward counties put mask mandates in place despite state orders against just such mandates. In the face of surging cases, this time among the younger and unvaccinated, the counties imposed new mask rules this week in their facilities and employees, but can those hold up? Broward County Mayor Steve Geller has said that they will comply with the governor's executive order, but he still wants anyone going into a county building to mask up. So, Mr. Mayor, good morning. Great to see you. How are you? Morning. Good morning, Michael. Good morning, Glenna. How are you? All right. So how does your order not violate the governor's mask, uh, non-mask mandate? Well, actually, that's the county administrator's order, but it's not an executive order. It's an administrative order. Uh, we do not have the ability under the governor's order to require businesses or anyone else to require masks, although I think we should have that ability. This is just an administrative order on our own buildings. The governor has been very clear. If you're a, um, if you own Acme Shoe Store, Acme Shoe Store can require uh, all of the um, uh, people going to Acme Shoe Store to wear masks. But Mayor Acme, Acme Shoe Store? We can do this. Mayor yeah. Ac Acme Shoe Store is a private entity. A county building is a public entity. So practically speaking, what does that mean? It means using our proprietary powers as the people running the building, we have that ability. We do not have the ability under the governor's order to require everyone countywide at retail, at restaurants, at offices, to wear masks yeah. only in our own building. Mr. Mr. Mayor, yes, yeah, go ahead. yeah, I'm sorry, Mr. Mayor. Uh, the other difference here, it would appear, is that you cannot and will not impose any penalty on people who do not want to mask up. Is that right? I mean, if somebody comes no. into the Broward County Governmental Center and says, I'm not going to wear a mask, 
uh, you then can't find them. Getting into our building. How? How does that work? If if someone is not wearing a mask, what practically speaking does someone in that building do to correct that behavior, and with what consequence? There are police officers and security guards at the entrance of every county building, and they will be instructed not to let people in that are not wearing masks. And is, is that well, a fine? Is there a sanction, a consequence no, of some we're sort? we're just not letting them in. But, but honestly, you know, uh, Michael, uh, Glenner, this is not the big issue. We only have, you know, a very small number of county buildings that includes the libraries. The by far the bigger issue is what's going on in Broward. I wish we did have the ability, which we don't, to issue uh, mask orders. I'm vehemently opposed to uh, closing businesses again. I do not want another shutdown, nor do we have the ability to do that. But our case numbers in Broward are completely through the roof. And that's really the big issue. Let me just give you one number here. Uh, June 15th, on our new cases per 100,000, we should be under, well, ideally under two new cases per 100,000. Over 10 were in the red. June 15th, we were six. July 14th, uh, July 1, we were 14. July 15th, we were at 37. July 30th, it's 85. Cases are doubling roughly every 11 or 12 days. Yeah, yeah but Mr. Mr. Mayor, if, if I can, yeah, I think the statistics are pretty grim. I know on Friday there were 9,000 new cases of COVID in Broward County, positivity rate 15.5%. So, right. uh, you know, here is, I think, the basic issue. It is a mm -hmm. given, a truism. The government closest to the people is the one that knows them best, can react best. Uh, the mm -hmm. governor seems to be preempting your ability to act to an extent. Is that right? The governor and the legislature, when they passed Senate Bill 2006, the legislature consistently tells the federal government, don't pass nationwide rules because what works in Montana doesn't work in New York. But then when it comes to local governments, they take the opposite of you and they say only the state knows anything. You're right. Local governments historically have had the ability to control local health. I feel strongly that should still be the case, but both the governor through his executive order and the legislature through Senate Bill 2006 have been taking other views, and I don't like it. So can we can we go back? You you are so right. There is a big picture here. Cases are surging in Broward County, in Miami-Dade County, in Florida as a whole. Yes, ma'am. But the devil is in the detail, and so yes. you have a you have a rule, and yes. Miami-Dade. Uh, has the same rule this week. Daniela Levine Cava, the mayor of Miami-Dade, put in right. uh, restrictions, masks in county buildings. She right. has said, we will enforce the rule. That That's right. what she has said. You're saying you will enforce the rule. Correct. But when you do enforce that rule, are you counting on people to comply or are you expecting, as we've seen, people to raise possibly some real chaos in trying to do what they choose to do. 
not a judgment yeah, call, just a question about how do you, what do you foresee when you try to get people to mask in a state where there is a ban on requiring masks? There is not a ban on requiring masks. There is a ban on our, on local governments like Broward County issuing orders that are countywide that will affect other businesses from uh, we cannot issue a mask mandate. That the, the governor has been clear that local businesses, local landlords can um, require masks and using our proprietary powers in our own buildings, we can do that. And we're expecting our security and our law enforcement to enforce that. So is that but different? Again, there's only, you know, a small number of county buildings. It's really not the biggest issue. Let me take it a step further. The supervisor of elections has just issued on, I believe it was Friday, issued an order that all of his employees, and he's an independently elected county constitutional officer, will be required to be either vaccinated or show weekly proof of negative COVID tests. He's taken it a step further than we have. So are you, you know, in the last go round last year when uh, Dale Holness was in the mayor's seat, Mayor Holness had been in our program and Broward County had some mandates in place that covered businesses, social distancing yes, and masking. Uh, the state really took the teeth out of any consequence there. And, you know, I'll just throw out there, everyone should be keeping themselves safe and choosing to do that. But are you concerned that this time some teeth may be taken away again? It is possible. I don't know he actually has the legal authority to do that. We do have some constitutional authority under our home rule powers. But yeah, the governor, in my opinion, has acted unwisely. I understand and sympathize with the fact that we don't want another shutdown. I am not in favor of another shutdown. I think the best way of preventing another shutdown would be to require masks and to more strongly encourage vaccinations. Now our vaccination numbers are going up a little. Uh, we had maxed out at about 175,000 a week. We were down to under 10,000 two weeks ago uh, our vaccination numbers uh, went up to 16,667. Last week they were 26,434. So because of the Delta of a variant, because so many more people are getting ill, at least our vaccination numbers are going up because we know vaccinations work. Glenna, if you're asking me, do I like the fact that the governor has exerted what I consider to be undue executive power taken away from the cities and the counties, the ability to react. I absolutely yeah. do not, but we will follow the law. Yeah, uh, Mayor Geller, it, it appears from what you're saying and from what some other people are saying is that Governor DeSantis has taken what should be a dispassionate scientific crisis and made it into a political issue for his reelection campaign. Is that state, stating that too bluntly? Um, I'm not sure it's his reelection campaign that he's doing that. I think it's his presidential campaign. But other than that, I would agree with what you've said. 
Well, that, that, can I, I just take that to, to to another yeah, level? The, sure. the reason that any candidate would do that is because he's got or she has a constituency that really mm -hmm. does believe that th there are people we hear from who do not believe that masks are the saving grace that science that we've seen seems to show they are. Um, and, and you have those constituents. And I, I know you gave the vaccination numbers. I just want to ask you on the CDC website, it says, uh, Broward County is just over half vaccinated. Hmm. I just want to make sure that that jives with the numbers that you gave. A 51% of people in Broward County it, vaccinated. It is 51.5% fully vaccinated. 62.5% have had one shot or more. If you look at the over 12, it's 72.5% that have had one shot. 59.7% fully vaccinated. So the 51.5 is fully vaccinated, including under 12. Yeah, Miami-Dade County, by contrast, has nearly 70% having received at least one shot. Here in the 30 seconds we have left, Mayor Geller, yes. give it your best shot. Talk to the people in Broward County, the 49% or so who have not received any shot at all. Give them your best sales argument. Get out there and get a shot. 72.5% of people over 12 have at least one shot, but 97% of the COVID hospitalizations are coming from the 27.5% that are unvaccinated. That's absolute solid proof that vaccinations work. Also, if you don't care about yourself, protect the children. What we have seen is that uh, the children are being um, in an un unfortunately very high rate, um, that children are getting COVID. We had uh, just last week, actually uh, last month, 190 people, children, go to the emergency room with COVID symptoms at just at Joe DiMaggio Children's Hospital. There are seven that are hospitalized there two of which are in intensive care. That's children who can't get vaccinated. Protect yourself, your friends, your family, your community. Protect the children. Protect the country. Do the patriotic thing. Please get vaccinated. Mayor Steve Geller, great to have you with us. And uh, we will be talking with you throughout the week uh, to follow all of this. Appreciate your time today. Always a pleasure, Glenna. Always a pleasure, Michael. Thank, thank, thank you very much, Mr. Mayor. All right, COVID variants are driving the surge in cases in South Florida. The sequencing that identified some of those variants is done locally at the University of Miami, and you will hear from the head of that lab when we come back. The exploding caseload this time is traced to the morphing COVID variants, the Delta, the Gamma from Brazil, the Lambda from Peru, the B.1.621, that's from Colombia. And they are all fueled by unvaccinated people who then become the host for these viruses. The sequencing that identified some of those variants is done right here in South Florida at a lab at the University of Miami. And Dr. David Andrews runs that lab. He joins us now. Dr. Andrews, good morning. Good to see you. Good morning. Good morning. Dr. Andrews, it's always great to have a scientist with us to help us figure out what's going on. So I, I actually can recite the Greek alphabet. We've got alpha, beta, gamma. 
Uh, the Colombian variant doesn't have a Greek letter yet, uh, but that Delta variant right now is across the country, eight out of 10 cases. What is it about the difference in the Delta variant that you're finding that is so much worse? So before I describe the variants and get, and get into some of that information, I really want to make sure that everybody understands how multidisciplinary the project is that we're engaged in. We've been sequencing now since early, since mid or late January, but this is a, 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 a program that has been, again, involved many, uh, many, many individuals. The actual sequencing operation is in the cancer center at the University of Miami. They pivoted from their cancer uh, sequencing effort uh, to be able to accommodate the virus, which is a very different kind of sequencing. The bioinformatics is done at the Hussman Institute for Human Genomics, uh, and the early uh, characterization of the samples is in the Department of Pathology. And I really want to thank our partners at Jackson Health System for making this possible because a lot of the samples are coming from them. They're random samples that we're retrieving from patients who test positive. That's the background of what we are, what we are, um, what we are sampling right now. Now, if you want, I'll address the question, which is the hottest question right now that I, I'm getting a lot of inquiries about, is the B.1.621 variant, also called the Colombian variant. I want to let um, you know, doctor, we actually <laughs> learned of the Colombian variant and, and the little surge from the CEO of Jackson, Carlos Magoya, who was with us a few weeks ago. Uh, I just want to put on the record, we have calls from Colombian Americans who don't like that it's called the Colombian variant. Uh, <laughs> clearly, it's about origination and not about culture, but, uh, but that was surprising to us. So, so where so did I, that come from and, and what is that and what to expect? So I think I can clarify where we are uh, and what's happening. Uh, we, in our last sequencing run, and we group sequences by typically by weeks as we retreat, as we're sampling, as we receive samples, we did see a 10% prevalence in our sample of about 90 samples. We saw nine cases out of about 90 of the B.1.16, pardon me, .620. You see how hard it is to get this right, the B.1.621 variant, uh, which, which has been associated with Colombia, but let me say why it's been associated with Colombia. Um, but, and by the way, it's about the fourth most prevalent in the United States based on the, on the CDC data. It's roughly around 2% of variants I'm seeing uh, in the United States. Of course, uh, Delta is 80 or 90% right now nationally. In our last sampling, it was 63%. But here's what, what is, what's going on with the, B, with, with the B.1.621. Then we can speak about the social implications. Uh, right now in the country of Colombia, this is uh, a very prevalent variant. It's and uh, in, in one of the, the the many online resources, it's upwards of 30% of variants there. Here, it's very little. And worldwide, it's 0.5%. In the United States, a couple of percent. So it is it is prevalent there. It did not originate in Colombia. But I want to say to Colombia's credit, a beautiful a beautiful article appeared in May, uh, describing it, uh, the article came out of the the genomics group of emerge emerge a very sophisticated article, a, a genomic group of emerging microorganisms in the Department of of, uh, in the National Institutes of Health in Bogota and Colombia, beautiful article was published that characterized this lineage in great detail, uh, and 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 all Colombian authors. Uh, so that article has been read read widely throughout the world. Now it's not a uniquely Colombian variant. It was didn't actually originate in Colombia. It's pre present now in many different countries. But I have to I, I must say, and so it's wrong for us to be referring to it as the Colombian variant, which is why uh, we've moved away. 
uh, from uh, uh, geographic uh, 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 designations for these variants to Greek alpha alphabet uh, variants. Unfortunately, the Greek alphabet has not been assigned to this variant. By the way, it's a variant of interest. It does have many of the features. I call it a bad player. The spike protein has features that that are that are seen in many of the uh, the other lineages that are associated with uh, some of the some of the features that we don't like as in increased infectivity or transmission, possible properties of immune escape. So it is it is one that everyone needs to keep an eye on. How does but, that but, work? What in layman's terms, wh what is that? Why? So there there are a couple of uh, feared characteristics of any variant. Number one is it does it is it spread more rapidly? And clearly that's the that's the feature that's that's the case with uh, with Delta. You know, it's being uh, it's being called almost as transmissible as chickenpox. It's unbelievable that the variant has mutated into a form now that is so rapidly transmissible. The second property that we're that's very, that is for which there has not been a a, a tremendous uh, uh, there's not there's some of these variants have have some evidence of, but not we haven't yet seen is that's a, a variant that has true immune escape for which the vaccines do not work. As was uh, stated by Mayor Geller, the vaccines uh, do work. Uh, they keep you sick, they keep you out of the hospital, they keep you uh, from dying. So yeah. vaccination is by far the number one message. Yeah, Dr. Andrews, Dr. Yes. Andrews, if I may jump in here, um, it, it's pretty clear from what you have described. I mean, you enormously sophisticated operation you have over there and a whole team at the University of Miami Medical School uh, you know, working on this. Talk to us about the application of what you are learning. For example, as Glenda mentioned, uh, you know, uh, Mr. Magoya was on this program about three or four weeks ago. He said last month we had two people in, in Jackson with the Delta variant. Now we have 49. So when you do the sequencing, how does that help the doctors, nurses at Jackson and other hospitals do their work. So right right now, the sequencing has um, has actually uh, because we know the that this that the Delta variant is so has such high uh, uh, transmissibility, uh, uh, extremely contagious. Uh, it it is it is increasing our vigilance to uh, both uh, 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 personal protection. That is uh, how how patients are are handled. Uh, how, we assume now that, by the way, that the vast, that almost all cases now that are coming in are, are the Delta variant. It's going to be, we're going to, what, what we're, what's being reflected nationally, we're going to see that now. Our, our latest sequencing report will be coming out this week. And we're sure it's going to be in the 80 to 90% range. For practical purposes, though, for the management of the patient, for dealing with the illness, uh, it's, it, it's being dealt with in the same manner as before. Despite this virus having some evidence of the Delta variant of being more severe. So on average, when it causes an infection, it may actually have a property of increased uh, degree, a degree of severity of illness. So that means, and you're talking about the Delta variant, or are you talking the Delta about the Delta variant? The Delta variant, yes. So I want to just have you reiterate these variants that are morphing from the original are because why there are hosts for them so 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 okay it's a theme that we've heard before uh, all viruses mutate this virus has uh, as a, on an ongoing basis it, there are mistakes made in the genome these mutations occur some of them are deleterious and that a strain does not emerge but when we have such high numbers of of, of infected individuals 
Every once in a while, a mutation occurs for which the virus has increased fitness. It's more robust. For one reason or another, it's stronger than a previous uh, form of the virus. A parental strain is how we're referring to the previous strains. And in this case, in Delta, unequivocally, what this, this strain has, it's basically its transmission rate, it's, it's on steroids. This thing has, uh, has, is now able to, so an end they talk about R0 or R0 properties. Uh, it, the, if an individual is in a room with 10 other people and they're infected, uh, they are more, much more likely to transmit this virus mm. to others in the room. Yeah, well, well, terribly, terribly dangerous, Dr. David Andrews. We are grateful for you and your team there at the yeah. University of Miami. Thank you for the good work you are doing, and let's hope that we get everybody vaccinated and uh, do not fall prey to the Delta or any of the other variants. Thank you. Thanks very much. School starts in weeks. That fight over mandatory masks in class is already underway. Broward School Board voted yes to masks, and the chair is with us live next. In just a couple of weeks, the school year will begin. The Miami-Dade and Broward school districts, however, are dealing with a renewed conflict over face masks. This week, the Broward School Board voted unanimously to mandate masks in schools. Friday, the governor signed an executive order outlawing such mandates to give parents the choice. The district heard from many of those parents. This is what's holding him back from learning. I had to hire a tutor so that my son could learn proper reading dictation because he's not getting it in school. I'm so excited to go back to school, but I don't want to go if I have to wear a mask all day. This is wrong of what you're doing to, your, to our children. Our children do not want to even go to school. My son told me if he has to wear a mask, he wants to quit. We, the parent, the taxpayers alone, have the authority to decide for our children. Not you, not the CDC, we the parents do. Some very concerned parents there. Dr. Rosalind Osgood is the chair of the Broward County School Board. She joins us now live. Dr. Osgood, great to see you. Thanks Hi, for joining Arthur. us. Good morning, Michael, and yeah. glad to be with you this morning. Thank you. All right, well, let's just go over what happened this week. Wednesday, you and every other member of the Broward County School Board voted to require masks for staff, for kids, uh, staff at Broward County Schools. Then Friday, the governor said, no, I'm, he issued the executive order. You really have no choice but to comply with his executive order, do you? No, we don't. And Michael, all of the board members expressed that we initially were going to move forward with masks being optional until we got the information from the Center for Disease Control. As we know, all great leaders must be willing to confront unequivocally the major anxiety of their people in their time. And right now, that anxiety is the coronavirus that continues to mutate. We have the Alpha variant, Beta variant, and now the Delta variant, which is 90% more contagious than all the others. Right. We so, just heard, excuse me, we just heard Dr. Andrews, an expert, go through how exactly dangerous it is. So I think the question that we want to know from you is, if you can't require kids or teachers, staff to wear masks in school, 
How are you going to keep the kids safe? Well, we're going to work very aggressively to strongly encourage our parents and our students to wear masks and to get vaccinated. It is very important that adults and children get the vaccination at this time. This Delta variant is very serious. We received numerous emails, over 100 from parents and staff wanting masks, wanting us to have mandate masks. People like Nicole Hanna from Pompano High, very concerned. Another parent, Myrna Gross, who has asthma, is concerned about her children getting the coronavirus and then bringing it back home to her. So we have to try to balance the two. But overall, as leaders, our soul and our conscience has to guide our decisions. And it always has to be to protect people in every way that we can. Yeah, I was interested in hearing you talk about these emails and communications that you've received. The uh, clips of sound that we played at the beginning, the lineup of people who spoke at the school board against their choice for, to have their kids wear masks. You called it at the school board and you, you said that was uh, almost an insurrection were your words. What did you mean by that? So on Tuesday, that was the day before you saw those parents speaking. On Tuesday, we had a crowd of people that were very aggressive, burning masks in front of the school building. They came in wearing the mask. Once they got inside, they removed their masks. They started yelling. They started being very, very vulgar in their conversation and you know, threatening to what the staff, it really reminded me of what happened at the Capitol on January 6th. And that's why I suspended all school board action at that time in an abundance of caution to clear the building, to remove that potential uh, violent uh, crowd from the building. I did not want it to escalate. We had a boardroom with board members. We had several staff security people in the lobby trying to ask them to maintain some type of decorum and follow the school board policy. And then I had 14 floors of employees. We could just, we couldn't just not take a risk on something happening and having some similar situation at the Broward County Public Schools when we're trying to model yeah. good behavior for our students. Yeah, uh, Dr. Osgood, uh, let me ask you about all the Broward County teachers, staff members, uh, cafeteria workers. Uh, Obviously, the BTU is, was very supportive of the mask policy that you enacted. And I know from a statement from Anna Fusco, the BTU president, she's not happy with the governor. So what is your message to your teachers and your staff now uh, about wearing a mask? You encourage them all to just voluntarily wear a mask? We are still strongly encouraging all of our staff, our Broward Teachers Union, our FOPI union, all of our unions are in favor of wearing masks. Many of our employees have pre-existing conditions that they want to be protected. We are strongly encouraging all staff and all students to wear masks. And we're asking parents, even if you're thinking about send, sending your child without a mask to reconsider. It's a basic principle, Michael. We wear masks because we love our neighbors. I wear my mask not only to protect myself, but to protect my community and my neighbors. I wouldn't want to risk their lives of contracting the virus. And I'm fully vaccinated, but we have to think about safety. We have to think about human lives. And I represent a 
at a very heavy populated African-American district. And when I look at statistics in Broward County now, where African-Americans 45 years of age and under make up 30% of the population, but they make up 70% of the new uh, new coronavirus cases, I have to take a strong stand and encourage the community all over to protect themselves. We know that mask is not a cure, but it has been proven to be something that will help us and minimize our chances of spreading the virus, uh, the coronavirus, as well as catching it. Dr. Osgood, I want to, with, with that said, I want to read you something right out of the executive order, which the governor entitled the executive order titled Ensuring Parents' Freedom to Choose. And within the body of the copy of that executive order, it says that um, those that did not require students to be masks, schools that did not require students to be masked, did not drive community transmission. And then it cites a Brown University study and analysis that said COVID-19 data for schools found no correlation with mask mandates. That's in the executive order. How do you hear that? Well, I hear that. And when we think about the number of students that's been in school since um, the epidemic, many schools were closed in Broward County. We closed first and opened last. When you look at data, I would wonder what was their end? What was the population that they surveyed? What's the geographical location? If those if that data was taken from a population in Florida, and what representation of the community is that data? It's very important when we analyze data that we have a good sample that's representative of the entire community. A lot of times we do a small sample and it does not give the accurate information of the entire community. I will say that we know that schools are a safe place because before we were able to implement the six feet of social distancing with small numbers of students being back in school. And even when larger numbers came back, we had an option to do hybrid models where many students were still online. And we know that they paid a tremendous price for that academically. So right now we don't have an option, the executive order that the governor put into place that allowed us to do hybrid or online learning expired. So we don't have that option. Parents don't have that choice. So now with class size being about 26 students plus the teacher, that's 27 students back in a class, it is physically impossible to manage a classroom with six feet of social distancing and, and three feet of social distancing. So you're forcing all of the students and teachers back in school and we all agree that we need to be back in face-to-face learning. The precaution that we have to provide a measure of safety is the mask, wearing Understood. the mask. Yeah, we, we, we hear you, Dr. Osgood, and we certainly hope that people will voluntarily wear their masks. And by the way, next weekend, we hope to have Dr. Vicki Cartwright, your new interim superintendent here on This Week in South Florida. Dr. Osgood, thanks very much. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thank you. Have a Next, powwow with the president. A South Florida contingent was at the White House late this week advising President Biden on Cuba and former Miami mayor, now head of the Florida Democrats. He was there. Manny Diaz is here. Next.
Exactly three weeks ago today, tens of thousands of Cubans took to the streets of Cuba demanding freedom, libertad. And since then, massive local protests and support included calls for President Biden to act. And he has imposing sanctions on individuals in Cuba, leading a crackdown on those protesters. Well, Friday, the president met with and listened to a group of Cuban Americans at the White House. And Manny Diaz was there. Miami's former mayor is now chair of the Florida Democratic Party and with us live today. Hello, Manny Diaz. Hey, Manny. Good morning, Glenn and Mike. It's good to be back with you guys. We're, Great to we're, have you. We're glad to see you. Uh, Manny, and we're going to use first names since I've only known you for about 35 years. Uh, there has been, as you know, a lot of criticism, President Biden's response to the uprising in Cuba, accusations that he has been weak and lukewarm. Uh, what about this meeting on Friday? Did he respond strongly uh, to what is needed in Cuba, action by his, his administration? Back. Uh, for the past uh, 20 or so days, uh, we have been in regular contact with the administration via telephone calls, via Zoom calls, via exchanges uh, of, uh, of documentation uh, back and forth. Uh, they have engaged us uh, since day one. His messaging, I don't know what else people want him to say. I uh, keep saying that uh, communism has failed in Cuba. Communism is a universally uh, failed uh, system. Uh, he has come out 100% in support of Cuban democracy and, and Cuban freedom. Uh, he has included Cuban Americans as vital partners uh, in this effort. Yes, at, at the meeting of Friday, he made very clear that he understands that uh, Cuban Americans are, are hurting, uh, that their loved ones are, are suffering, and it's completely intolerable. And he made it clear also, he said, look, I want Cuban Americans to know that all of us that are sitting in this table, including me, uh, feel the pain hear the voices and hear the cries for freedom uh, in Cuba. And he fully recognized that the demonstrations that we saw on the 11th are very different from anything that we've seen before. So um, hmm. we talk about Cuban Americans, obviously that is not a monolithic group. Um, but your meeting at the White House at, followed a conference call a week before by another group and the president included all kinds of people who were either moderate, moderate views toward Cuba, some pro-engagement. Um, there were, were no, but there was nobody on either the call or in your meeting who we would call in South Florida one of the hardliners, someone from the original group of exiles from the 1960s uh, who largely are GOP supporters. Do you think it would be worthwhile for the president to reach out to that group of people, to listen to them, to take some recommendations? Uh, and even, you know, for PR purposes, why, why hasn't he done that? Well, he, number one, he's been hearing from everybody. And number two, this is not a partisan issue. Why not? And number three, I think whether you're a hardliner or not a hardliner, right now there's only one priority and one goal, and that's freedom in Cuba. And, and I, I suspect that we are close, pretty close to 100% united in that call for freedom. Well, let me just follow up with you on that because you're right. It's a bipartisan support for a free Cuba. It is not a political issue. But the Republicans, especially mm -hmm. in South Florida, have been able to make it one. And, and really, since 2018, have been calling socialism equals Democrats. And, and while that blatantly is not true, 
that's been very resonant in a large portion of South Florida. And, and do you feel like the Democrats now need to overcome that? I mean, President Biden has not changed a thing about Cuba policy that President Trump put into place. So the, the facts are there. So how do, you, how do you get by that politicization of this? You know, we just keep fighting for the freedom of Cuba. I mean, it's unfortunate that, that people want to make this a partisan, a partisan issue, as I said before. It is not. Uh, by the way, I have personally met with a lot of the people that you described uh, down here in Miami, met personally, had phone calls with them. Uh, they have been uh, quite supportive, actually, uh, of, of, the, of the, some of the inaction on the part of the president and some of the action on the part of the president. So, you know, I, I think, um, I, I, and, and look, I'll, I'll tell you something. Last Friday was a very, very unique experience for me, as, as you both know. I've been doing this for some 40 years. I've been invited to lots of meetings with presidents and governors and members of Congress. And, and more often than not, I walked out of those meetings, you know, Michael, feeling like I was, uh, uh, I was a prop. It was a check the box. It was a photo op. Right. Uh, I will tell you that we didn't even take a photo during the meeting on Friday. We were with the president of the United States for an hour and a half. That is, that is almost unheard of. And by the way, a couple hours before that, we were in the White House for three and a half hours. We met with national security uh, staff. We met uh, with people from public engagement. All right. state so it was, yeah, I, we hear you, Manny. It was, a, it was a serious meeting with serious substantive issues. But let me ask you about some things that apparently have not happened. One of the main ones, and you and many others, have called for reconnecting the people of Cuba to the Internet and somehow using technology, either high-altitude balloons or some other technology, to get them connected so they can speak to each other and show the world what is going on. What did the president say is going on there? That every single option is on the table. They have looked at, they have and continue to look at, uh, at balloons, at satellites, at the Cuban embassy, at Guantanamo, at Cuban ships going by. I mean, they are they are digging under every rock to make sure what is the best way to do that. You know, part of the problem with balloons and satellites is that they can be blocked by the Cuban government. Right. So there's been a lot of care and there's been a lot of meetings with, with people much smarter certainly than I am in the technology world to try to determine what is the best way uh, to, reconnect, uh, to reconnect the island. Because, by the way, during the meeting, he said, it must have been a half a dozen times, they need to be heard. We need to hear them. And so it is a huge priority. And the National Security Advisor said, by the way, this is a challenge. Um, you know, if, if it were easy, it would have been done on day one. In 20 seconds we have left, uh, when I hear all options are on the table, I need to ask you, does that include military mm -hmm. intervention? No. No, 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 no. We were talking about the, the Internet. Okay, just, just clarifying that. Just clarifying yeah, no, 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 absolutely not. No talk of that. The, the humanitarian aid that's going to go directly now to political prisoners and, and dissidents, the international effort that Senator Blinken is making, I mean, they basically told us that he's called, like, just about every country uh, in the world. And as you know, we haven't had success with Canada and Spain, uh, England and, and some others that the president feels... Uh, yeah. No, very yeah. bad. Well, Manny, I, I beg your pardon. We're going to have to interrupt. We're out of time. We're grateful for your time this morning and Always. stick with it. Thank you. I will. Thank you. <laughs> All right. We'll be right back. Always. Be
great to be with you and we thank you for choosing to be here with us. And remember, we are online 24-7 at local10.com. And remember, as always, stay informed, get involved. Have a great Sunday.